Good morning, Vineyard. How's everyone this morning? Okay, we're doing a survey this morning. How many people are tired this morning? Okay, we're going to have a five-minute nap session. Power nap, ready? Go. That's right. Yeah. It'd be nice if we had all like recliners, but no one would ever hear the message, right? The older I get, the quicker I can fall asleep doing nothing. <laughs> Except for at night, yeah. One's got the littlest mysteries. You know, I wish I could sleep at night. That would be good. Well, thanks for being here. Everybody say good morning to our online people. Hello, online folk. We love our online community. They are strong and uh, it's kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if I've ever shared, but there's, a, there's actually a nursing home that um, uh, watches us. So I wish I remembered the nursing home's name. But, so they use us as their service. So hello, nursing home. Who's out there watching us? Well, let's pray and uh, my gosh, our God is an awesome God, isn't he? He's just an awesome God. He does great things. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He walks with us. You know it, and he, he loves us enough to let us be who we are. And he also loves us and loves us and us when <laughs> he also loves us enough to correct us, to show us. So this morning I pray, Holy Spirit, come. And whatever burdens were brought in, he knows. Give us comfort in those burdens. Maybe show us solutions for those. Let us know that we're not carrying those alone and that you're with us. And you're God, no matter how big, no matter the smallest things that we have going on that you care about, and that's an amazing thing. Because if it's important to us, it's important to you too. And we thank you for that. Come be with us in our service this morning, in our music, in all the extracurricular stuff we have, in our message and in our fellowship. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So if you feel like standing, you can get to your feet, whatever position you want to have for uh, our time in music. And um, yeah, let us worship God, lifting our holy hands. To bless his name. And there were in the same country shepherds. 
abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. You are the first, you go before, you are the last, Lord, you're the encore, your name invites for all to see, the starry host declares your glory.
Now my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the good names of God. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. In all my days, I've been held in your hand. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God all my life you have been faithful 
Praise and the glory. Amen. Oh, I did it again. Offering time. Here we go. I have... You, you guys won't believe it. You won't believe it. Don't forget the offering. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> All right, we'll, we'll take the offering. Hang on, Diane, for a second. We are going to do the offering. We're going to take it from the front to the back. And uh, then we'll pray for it and uh, make it a part of our worship this morning. that you're faithful when, when we have a lot to give and when we have nothing to give. Uh, so we pray a blessing over the hearts of all of us in here, but a blessing over uh, everything that everyone was able to give because we know that you do so much with our seemingly so little. So we thank you for the giving hearts and we praise you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the Vineyard Community Church. We are so glad that you could join us here at the Vineyard. Um, and all of you at home, our service today is streaming live on Facebook and can also be found on YouTube tomorrow. Also, we will be sharing communion following these announcements. For those of you at home, grab a cup and some bread or crackers so that you can join us. And if you didn't get one of these communion cups, please raise your hand. And someone should bring, will bring one to you. Um, and don't forget, after offering, we also um, have a small table. Still, there's still a small table set up in back um, for latecomers. 
and also check out the bulletin for our info on last week's offering. Today we'll continue our Advent series called The Bright Valley. Pastor Brent Paulson's message is called Signs. It's from Isaiah 7 through 10, Isaiah 7 uh, verses 10 through 16. Grab your Bible or cell to look up today's text or follow along in your bulletin. Today marks the fourth Sunday of Advent. The fourth candle represents our represents love. Our brand new family, Zane, Kaylee, and Oliver, are going to come up now to read today's Advent verses and light four candles. Oliver's sleeping, so we're not going to disturb him, because you know how it is. <laughs> Do you want to read it? Sure. Uh, we're reading from Luke 2, the story of angels and shepherds. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Thank you. Now we definitely don't want to disturb Oliver because he's not like away in a manger or anything. So he will probably uh, cry. So um, today is name tag Sunday. We invite you to wear a name tag. Take a moment um, sometime this morning to meet someone that you don't know. Our Food, our Vineyard Food Resource Center needs you tomorrow, Monday, December 18th, for food box assembly from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Then on Tuesday, beginning at 11 a.m., we need volunteers to set up at 3 p.m. Volunteers are needed to help with food distribution. And at 6 p.m., we need volunteers to help us with cleanup during this Christmas season. Why not come volunteer with us? Um... Next Sunday, December 24th, is Christmas Eve. Rather than an evening service, we will celebrate Christmas uh, Eve candlelight service at our regular morning service at 10 a.m. Please join us for this special celebration. And now, drum roll, <laughs> what we've all been waiting for, Denise, will you, no, we're going to do video? Okay. Yeah, even though Teresa explained it to me, I still got mixed up. So one week ago, 
Our church held our um, amazing, awesome event called Christmases for Kids. Say thanks to Jim and our CFK photographers, Randy Blackford. I also saw Sean George snapping some pictures, so we should have plenty. Um, We have this mosaic of pictures to give you a glimpse of what happened. Hopefully they did not take the oven cookie incident.
Now the ones who walked in darkness have now seen a great light. All right, and one more hand. That was an amazing day. Thank you to everyone. All right, and now we will finish up our story. So I I need another drum roll because the other one was wasted. Perfect. Thank you. We decided it's easier to use a microphone. Why don't you sit on this one? You'll be higher. Ooh, it makes us more even. Ooh, now you're taller than me. I don't know if I like that. Okay, so who wants to hear the end of this story? So as you can see, my, my reading friend and I have our shirts on. It happens to have, huh, a truck and a tree. Go figure. Is that appropriate or what? All right, we're reading the story, A Carpenter's Gift. Nearly a lifetime had passed, but Henry could still remember what it felt like to wake up in the old shack, especially during wintertime. In those days, the Great Depression gripped the country. And like many people, Henry's parents were out of work. They couldn't afford coal for the stove or warm blankets for the beds. So young Henry usually woke up with a shiver, but he didn't complain because it was nobody's fault. Instead, he visited warm places in his mind. One day in 1931, actually the day before Christmas, Henry was reading a book when he heard the loud toot-toot of a car horn. He opened the front door and saw his father behind the wheel of a borrowed truck. Go for a ride, Sparky, his father shouted over the rumbling engine. You bet, Henry shouted, and raced inside to get his coat. Riding in any sort of car was a special treat for Henry, and it was not to be missed. Soon he was sitting beside his father, nose pressed to the window glass. They drove into a nearby grove of evergreens. Henry breathed in the strong, familiar smell. Here's the plan, Henry's father said. See those spruce trees, Sparky? We're going to cut them down and take them to the city. Why, Henry asked. To sell them as Christmas trees, his father said. Even though New York City was just an hour drive away, Henry had never been there before. He shivered with excitement at at the thought of seeing 
all those tall buildings scraping the sky. When Henry and his father reached Midtown Manhattan, they began looking for a place to park and unload. Driving down Fifth Avenue, they found a good spot next to a construction site. Mind if we set up here? Henry's father asked the worker. The man looked them over. It didn't take him long to figure out that Henry's father was down on his luck. No problem, the man said. I'll give you a hand. My name is Frank. Then he turned around and called out, Hey, Mikey! Hey, Paulie! Come over and help! For the rest of the afternoon, Henry and his father sold trees to the passerby. Mm -hmm. By the end of the day, they had earned enough money to make the trip a success. We should be getting home now, Henry's father said, as the sun set behind a tall building. What about the rest of the trees, Henry asked. I thought we'd give it, give them to Frank and the other fellows. Henry nodded in agreement. The best presents are the ones you don't expect, he thought. Because it was Christmas Eve, the workers were having a little party. Frank and the others took the tallest of the trees that Henry and his father had given them and decorated it with whatever they could cobble together, paper garlands, cranberries threaded on a string, and even a few shiny tin cans. Henry nodded, added an ornament of his own. He made it of newspaper. He made it of newspaper and he stole, folded it into a star. I got to slow it down. <laughs> In the background, he could hear his father talking with Frank about grown-up things, the hard times for Henry's family, the shack in which they lived. But Henry didn't want to think about those things. He just wanted to look at the most marvelous Christmas tree he had ever seen. It had been the best day that Henry could remember. And he didn't want it to end. He stood before the decorated tree, enchanted. The street lamps had just come on, and the cans, tin cans. the tin cans, glittered, glittered in their light. If ever there was a magic moment, Henry thought, this is it. He decided to make a special Christmas wish. He wished that one day his family would live in a nice, warm house. After making this wish, Henry opened his eyes. His gaze fell on the pine cone lying on the ground. He picked it up, and as it was turning over in his hands, he felt his father's grip on his shoulder. Time to go, Sparky, his father said. He stuffed the pine cone in his pocket, that good night, said good night to the workers, and walked with his father back to the truck. By the, by the time they arrived home, it was well past bedroom, Henry's bedtime. You must be exhausted, his mother said, slipping off his boots. Straight to bed with you. Shrugging his, off his coat, Henry felt a bulge in his pocket. It was the pine cone. He took it out and looked at it, remembering the joys of the day and the, mag- and the magic of the tree. The next morning, Henry's parents let him sleep in late. In fact, it was quite past eight when he heard a toot-toot of several car horns that woke him. Rushing to the window, he saw three trucks pulling up outside. They were loaded with lumber and other building supplies. At the wheel of the first truck was Frank, and behind him were the other Rockefeller workers. What are they doing so far from the city on Christmas morning? 
Frank got out of the truck after you left. After you left, where we got thinking, he said, "There's all this extra wood lying around, and we had the day off, so we thought we'd drive up and see what we could do to help you with this house of yours." Frank looked the shack over, th- talking. Oh my gosh. That's okay, taking. Taking in its pan, pan, patched walls and ill fitting windows. I think we'll have to make a fresh start, he said. Henry's father didn't have words for the way he felt. He, so he simply took Frank's hand and shook it. The sound of sawing and hammering traveled far enough on that Christmas morning for Henry's neighbors to wonder what was going on. A few walked over and saw the new house going up and spread the word. By mid-afternoon, a dozen more people were pitching in. As the new house took shape, Frank called Henry over. See those boards, he said, pointing to the stack of cedar. We're going to use them to trim the windows, but they've got nails in them. You'll need this to pull out the nails. Henry, found, Henry moved to fetch the boards, but Frank called him back. Digging into his toolbox, he handed Henry his old claw hammer. You'll need this, Frank said. By nightfall, the frame of the new house was nearly done. By week's end, it had a roof. Soon enough, it was ready for Henry's family to move in. In the spring, Henry's parents celebrated with a potluck dinner. They invited everyone who had helped build the house. Henry was glad to see Frank again. He was ready to return the claw, the claw hammer, but Frank couldn't ta- wouldn't take it. You keep it, son, he said. It may come in handy someday. After dinner, Henry sat happily in his very own room. He thought about his Christmas wish and couldn't believe that it actually came true. He knew that He knew he should do something special to express how thankful he was. He thought long and hard hard about what that might be. Finally, he decided to plant the pine cone. Maybe it would be... He could be. Maybe he could be Jack from the Beanstalk story, and the pine cone could be his magic bean. Henry planted the pine cone beside the new house. In time, the seedlings emerged. Henry watered and weeded it. As time passed, both he and the tree grew tall and strong. Henry especially liked the hammer, to hammer away outside in its shade, and he became quite a good carpenter, building many projects with his skilled hands. As Henry grew up, however, he became busy with other things. He got married, moved away, and had a family. Most summers... So he returned to visit his parents. On lazy days, he sat beneath the tree with his son, teaching him how to build things with the claw hammer. As he got even older, Henry sometimes wondered where the time went. One day he was a young boy walking, waking up with a shiver, and the next he was an old man lying alone, living alone. Not needing a big place anymore, he decided to move back into the house where he grew up. To keep himself busy, Henry began working on the house, which was showing its age. He especially liked using the old claw hammer. Its 
flushed. Pulsed handle, smooth and dark from where he felt com it felt, felt comfortable in his hand. One day, as Henry worked on the front porch, a man drove up to see him. The old the man took Henry that he told Henry that he worked for Rockefeller Center and that he w it was his job to pick out a new Christmas tree each year. I love your spruce, the man said. When I saw it from my helicopter yesterday, I knew that it had to be this year's tree. Henry wasn't too sure what to do. He knew that being asked was an honor, but he had the tree but he and the tree had been together for a long time and he was reluctant, reluctant to let it go. I know that I'm asking a lot, the man said, but if you agree, I can promise that your tree will bring joy to millions of people. Henry thought even more. And when the holiday season is over, the man continued, we will mill the tree and the lumber will help a family in need build a new home. A family in need? Suddenly, Henry felt a shiver and the calendar in his mind flipped back to 1931 driving to New York City with his father, meeting Frank and the other workers. Building the house, planting the tree, he knew that what he had to do. I've been given so much, Henry said. I want to give something back. The tree is yours. Just before Thanksgiving, Henry received an invitation to the tree lighting. On the special day, a car picked him up and drove him all the way to Rockefeller Center where he met the family whose new home would be built with the tree's lumber. They hugged him and thanked him many times for his generosity. Afterwards, Henry stood off on the side and watched the family's young daughter. It's so beautiful, the girl said softly as she stared at the enormous tree. Then something caught the child's eye. A pine cone had fallen to the ground. Picking it up, she turned it over and over in her hands before stuffing it in her pocket. If ever there was a magical moment, Henry thought, this is it. Henry walked over to the girl, they, and they stood together gazing at the glittering, glittering tree. Then Henry reached into his, his coat pocket and pulled out the old claw hammer. Here you go, Sparky, Henry said. You'll be needing this. You take that down that way. Can you give a hand for our wonderful readers, too? Thank you. And just FYI, the, the, the lumber from that tree in Rockefeller Center really does go. I think since 1956, 60-something. Denise is checking. But yeah, for a very long time, that tree, that lumber's not wasted. It actually goes to build a new home for somebody. Um, so now, 
At this time, Paul and Jen Busby are going to lead us in communion. Again, if you did not receive a communion cup when you came in, please raise your hand. For those of you at home, um, grab your cup and bread and join us. Well, good morning, everyone. Let me get my scripture out here. Thank you all for joining with us for communion today. Just wanted to say that uh, we have an open communion here for all believers in Jesus, no matter what denomination you may come from. You don't need to be a part of the vineyard to partake with us today. We just ask that you do have a relationship with Jesus Christ and be welcome to join us at his table. I wanted to read the scripture today, not from the original occurrence in the Gospels, but uh, when Paul was talking about it in 1 Corinthians, because some people had begun to exercise the Lord's table inappropriately, so he very carefully outlines this is how it ought to be done. And so he describes the event as, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here comes Pastor Brent. Sounds like here comes Santa Claus. She said that. Good morning. Lots of activities going on. It's a cool thing to see. There's a lot of things going on in the community. And... um, uh, Denise and I were talking yesterday. It's just been kind of exciting to see there's kind of an air of excitement and forward movement going on in the community. And um, and that's always really neat to see. It's uh, things that we don't make up that God just does. You know, sometimes there's stuff that we do and we do and we do. And then there are times when God just kind of blows on things and goes, I'm, you know, kind of his... I've seen your ministry, now let me show you mine, kind of thing. So, um, so uh, this morning I'll try and be somewhat coherent. I've been um, taking cold medicine and, and medicine for my hips, so if I um, fumble a little bit, that's why I have an excuse. Um, 
anybody anybody who's ever preached on worship or anything Saturday if you don't if you don't believe like that there's actual spiritual warfare kind of thing like good and evil and spiritual beings that do stuff try doing try preaching or worship, leading worship or something and you'll you find out really quick that there's a lot of stuff that that happens today we're we're continuing a uh, advent series and today um, we're talking about signs, not the uh, M. Shyam- I can't say his name, M. Shamala, Sham- whatever, the scary movie uh, signs, which actually was kind of scary. Um, but um, actual signs, uh, signs we don't we don't think about signs a lot, you know. That but without them, life could get really confusing, like bathroom signs, you know. There's no bathroom signs. We went many years ago when my parents, we were taking my parents to the Cleveland Clinic. It was right when they finished the J Building, which is the big, great big heart building when you go in. It's kind of the half moon shaped one. And the whole thing, for somehow the person who designed, interior decorator for the Cleveland Clinic over in the main campus area anyway, decided that that the, the, the color scheme should be super white on super white with a little bit of white. And so you go in there, and, and we had to bring my dad and my mom all these different places, and they hadn't put up any of the, the numbers or signs yet. And so they're like, well, you just go down here about 10, I think it's about 10 doors, and then you go left about four doors, and we're like, what? You, how can you not have signs? Like you'd think that, you know, anyway. It was interesting. So, so life without signs doesn't always go well. Although even in some places where they do have signs, um, it, sometimes those even don't make any difference. When I was in um, India, especially New Delhi, um, they sort of had road signs, but people really didn't use them. And so everybody just kind of drove everywhere. It was really interesting. Nobody stopped. They, they, used, they, they said, we don't have brakes, we have horns. And so they always use horns. And it's a very interesting place. And I've been a few other places that are like that, too, where it's like, okay, so I guess we just don't pay attention to these signs. So, but sometimes it's really good to pay attention to signs. And some signs we're better off not paying attention to. So I thought I'd start out with some, some signs that, that um, 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 were kind of funny, I thought. So, um, so one of my first... Um, Signs is before anybody who has cats gets this. Before coffee, I hate everyone. After coffee, I feel good about hating everyone. And so, and then there's the inventor of autocorrect died. The funnel will be held tomorrow. A few other uh, signs going on. Wash and vacuum senior citizens, 1595. Teresa brought me there the other day, so I'm nice and clean. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Unattended. Now, this is what we do to your children if you leave them too long in our children's ministry. They will be given energy drinks and taught to swear. Not really. Sorry, online people. Not, not. We might give them energy drinks, though. And then this one. This isn't really a sign, but I just thought it was funny because if you have a bad hip, you get this. I can't say I'm entirely pleased with my hip replacement. So, anyway. So, some signs. That um, there's a lot of there's a, when you go and look up funny signs, there's a lot of funny signs. Um, but there's also a passage that that we're going to come across today that becomes one of the more significant passages in the Bible, and it speaks of a sign because God gives us signs too, doesn't He? 
He gave, he gave Noah a sign that he would no longer flood the world anymore. And anybody know what that sign is? It's the rainbow, the bow, the bow. And, um, and that's a sign. And, and something somebody said, which I thought was kind of cool, I, I don't know how theologically correct it was, but that, that part of that symbolism of the bow is that the, that, that the Hebrew word for bow in a lot of those contexts where it uses rainbow is literally a bow, like a bow and arrow kind of bow. And that rainbow is supposed to kind of symbolize that. And it symbolizes... Um, it can symbolize judgment, but this, the sim- symbolization of the rainbow is that it's pointing away. It's not pointing towards. And so, um, so we have that. God gave signs to Moses. He gave signs to Pharaoh. The reason uh, that God did all of the plagues on Egypt, there were actually signs to Egypt. Each of those, if you go through and do a study on that sometime, each of those signs was one of the, one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. They worshipped frogs, so what does God do? He brings a plague of frogs. He goes, oh, you want to worship frogs? I'll give you frogs. And then frogs and frogs. You know, you want to worship the sun? You think the sun is a deity? Okay, I'll make it dark. You know, you want to worship, you want to, you want to make your, you want to idolize your kids and, and, and humans and say that they're gods? I'll deal with that. Signs. God gives us signs sometimes of what he wants. Many years ago when I was trying to figure out, I, 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 always, I always like to do the, the quick way of, you know, if, if, I, if I have to do something, if he, since God wants me to do something, I like to get it all done right away. I don't like to procrastinate. So like when I, when I, when I was in school, when I was in seminary, they'd give us the quarter or the, I think we were in quarter, the quarter's worth of work, I would have it all done like in the first week and a half, which drove the teachers crazy. They're like, don't do all the work that fast. You've got to pace this out. But I just liked getting it done. But one of the things I, I didn't want to do after I became a Christian, I felt like God was calling me, and I really didn't want to go to like seminary. Because seminary was like, first of all, you had to have a four-year degree, which I didn't yet then. And then you had to do four more years. And I was like, eight years? I'll be really old by then, and God can't, won't even be able to use me. I mean, I'll be like, I mean, I probably would have been like 27 or 28, about 27 by then. And of course, once you're 27, your life is almost over. So, um, so anyway, so, so, you know, through this whole process, Teresa and I are praying and praying and praying about what, what we're supposed to do. Because we both kind of felt, when we got together, both felt that, yeah, this is something God wants us to do. And so, in that process, we, we kept asking God. And the one problem about asking God about things is that he might tell you. When and guess what God kept, he didn't like come audibly and tell me this, but he kept shutting doors. And so I just kept doing what I felt like I probably needed to do, which was going to school. So I went, I was working full time, but I went nights and weekends to um, college. And I went to um, one of the first college for working adults. It was when, this is back in like the, the 1500s, um, when they first started colleges for working adults. No, it was really early. In the early days, it was actually one of the pioneer schools uh, for what almost all schools are today. It was a college literally for working adults. There were a lot of CEOs 
and there were um, people in 3M and control data that were presidents, vice presidents, that didn't have degrees back then. And they needed degrees, so they set up a system for people who are already in an occupation that could actually do this. Um, but the system they set up was a little bit challenging because we didn't have computers. So they would come on at like 4 or 5 in the morning on NPR, on the television station. And PBS. PBS. Did I say NPR? PBS. And the teachers would come on, and we'd watch our classes there. And then I'd, you know, on the weekends, I'd go do that. And so I'd be up at like 4 in the morning you know, to taking notes and doing all this stuff. And then we go to class a couple times a week. Um, and anyway, on and on it went. So then finally I get done with college and I think, okay, God, now is the time. And so then Therese and I start looking for like the six-week super-duper fantastic ministry training program or learn how to be a pastor in, in three simple weeks or, you know, on and on it went. And again, the problem was we, we kept asking God what he wanted us to do. And the one thing I really didn't want to do, there, was a, there were a lot of seminaries in Minneapolis area, and one of them was called Bethel, and I kind of really didn't want to go to Bethel. I was like, I really don't want to go to Bethel. And so finally, we, we just kind of reached this point where we had to sort of make a decision. We're, we're, I, was getting, I was just feeling like, okay, I'm done with college, And I know that there's another step that God has for us. I don't know what to do, God. You need to show me. And I I hit that desperation point one day when we were heading to work. Do you ever hit that point where you're just literally at the end of the end of... I mean, it's not even at the end of the rope. The rope already ended. You're getting close to the end of even the fall. You know, you're like, you're just like, okay, I... I don't know what to do here. So I just said, I told God that. I said, God, I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of myself. I, I'm, I feel like this is just never going to happen. I don't even know if you're hearing me. And in the middle of that, my mom calls me. And now I think this is pre, probably pre-cell phone even. I can't remember. I don't remember. When did we all get cell phones? I don't remember. It was pre-cell. So my mom... No, we had, we, we had horses, and we put little things in their saddles. Um, so, so my mom calls up work, and I was like, because I told God, I said, God, you need to tell me today what we're supposed to do, because we owned a house at that time, and we were thinking, I don't know how I'm going to go to school and still own a house, and somebody has a graduate program, it's a lot more difficult than college is, and I was a little bit worried I wasn't smart enough. So we, so we began... I just said, God, I, I need to know today. I need to know. I get to work, and I get a call, and it's my mom. And she goes, you know, your dad and I were praying last, last night, and we both felt like we needed to tell you. You know, you, we didn't pay for any of your college. You put yourself through school. You've been independent. You lived on your own, you know, since you quit selling drugs. Um, it's true, but I did live on my own. Um, you, you know, and and we just want you to know that if you feel like you want, you're supposed to go to Bethel Seminary, that we will pay for it, and we will help cover your house payments until you can do something with your house, and then. We had had our house up for sale for about a year. And I think it was that day or the next day we get this call and say, somebody goes, hey, we really want to buy your house. And I was like, okay. 
Yeah. We ask. God answers. I mean, it was pretty evident. It was pretty clear. It wasn't exactly what I wanted, but it's what I needed. I'm so glad that I did that. Because I came here, and at least around in this area and other places, there was a lot of weird, heretical stuff going on. You know, there's a thing called Reconstructionism, where people were teaching you had to obey the whole Old Testament and all the laws and stuff like that. There were people that were super anti-government. There were, it was just all kinds of stuff. And, and I needed the theological background that seminary gave me in order to be able to, to do what God had called me to do. And so today we come into a passage where a king named Ahaz is kind of in a similar situation, only he's not going to seminary. He needs, kind of needs to know what God's will is. He's living in a very precarious time, and we'll get into that in a second here. But it's a time when, when he is about to... He, he has enemies everywhere. He has enemies to the north of him, enemies kind of to the south or west of him, and enemies to the east of him. And so we're going to begin in, in Isaiah 7. I'm going to start in verse 1, where it says, When Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Razin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramallah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they couldn't overpower it. So this is, and I'll get into who these kings are in a minute. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied himself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, who is the prophet, Go out, you and your son, Shir Jeshub, which is really, you know, you guys didn't listen to me, um, Kaylee and Zane, but this is one of the two names I picked out for your son, Shir Jeshub. The other one was the other name that Isaiah called his son. I can't even pronounce that one. Um, Go, go out and meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct in the upper pool because uh, on the road to the launderer's field. So God sends, Ahab is freaking out. He's going out to this water aqueduct to make sure they have enough water in case they're sieged so that they won't you know, die of starvation, water starvation. And God sends them a messenger. And he says, say to him, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. That's a word for some of you today. Be careful. Stay calm. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Razin and Aram, the son of Ramallah. Abraham, Ephraim, and Ramallah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Teal king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of the Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only raising. Within 65 years... Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. This enemy you're so terrified of in 65 years won't even exist. 
The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramallah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz and said, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether the deepest of the depths or the highest of the heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord God to the test. Now that sounds really spiritual, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound spiritual? He's quoting back scripture to God. Now, Jesus quoted back scripture to Satan to do spiritual battle with Satan. But you really don't need to tell God what he said. I mean, you can, and it's okay sometimes in prayer, but not in this way. Because basically what he's saying is he's using that as a ruse to not trust God. God is telling him, ask the Lord your God for a sign whether as deep as you want to go, I'll do it. Or as high as you want to go, I'll do it. I mean, this is a pretty amazing offer. Like, you could, you could, you could ask for a, a, a super jet, and I will fly. He wouldn't know what that was, but, you know. You could ask for, for, a, for a road. You could ask for an angel army to come. You could ask for anything, high or low. He, God's giving him a check and going, here, write it. And Ahaz goes, no, I won't test the Lord like that. Now that sounds really pious, but it's not, because what's going on here is Ahaz doesn't want to trust God. And when you ask God about something, you better be ready for his answer. So when Therese and I were praying about, you know, what should I do? It wasn't exactly what I wanted but I knew when God answered, especially within like two days when the first day my mom tells me she'll pay for Bethel, the next day our house sells. I'm like, but God, I need a real sign. You know, real, you, know. you can't do that. You, you're, you're bound at that point because you've asked. You've asked. King Ahaz didn't want to ask because he already had a plan. He was in the distrust of God phase. He had been attacked by these two other kings before, and they'd wiped out a bunch of people. They'd done a bunch of damage. And I don't know if Ahaz is a little bitter with God, or if he's just like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't trust you anymore, God. Or if he's just like one of those people that wants to fix it. No, I got this, God. How many of you are fixers? You like to fix everything. Something's broke. Okay, let's fix it. I, I have learned, if, if there's one thing I've learned over the years of doing this, is that at least one out of ten times before I go and try and fix something, ask, I ask God. It's just better than not asking at all. I say, all right, God, what should I do? Isn't that funny how we get to that place where we think, you know, I, I could ask God, but I think I really know how to do it better. I know how to fix this better. I used to watch that with people in recovery all the time. 
they'd come in to a meeting and and you know in the meeting part of the recovery process is surrendering your will acknowledging that you're powerless over alcohol drugs and then surrendering your will to the the will of God to God a lot of people were like no I can do this I know how to do this I have at it usually a couple weeks later how's that going for you as they're puking in your bathroom toilet. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, O you house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of humans? Will you also try the patience of God? Therefore the Lord and God will give, him, give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Or the, the young, young woman will give conceiving your birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I'm going to give you a sign. I'm giving you a sign. And it's not what you expect. So let me give you a quick lesson in history, just to see what's going on here. There's a map somewhere. There it is. Can't see it really good on here, sorry. Um, So if you look at the very top of the map... You see uh, the kingdom of Aram and Damascus. So, so that's one of the armies is there. And then you see that blue part? That's the kingdom of Israel because is, Judah and Israel had split. The, the 12 tribes of Israel had split at this point after Solomon. So, there's, so, so you can kind of see, see Judah, they're that light brown or orange color. That's them. You kind of see, see, can you kind of get kind of an idea of why they might be a little freaked out? They got that group, that group. So what they do, what Ahaz does is goes, well, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to partner with. They, they wanted Judah to join with them and attack that way up at the top, that little, little writing Assyrian Empire, which would become one of the greatest empires in the world, and was rolling its way through. They wanted Judah to join. Judah's like, no. In that process, what Ahaz does is makes a pact with the Assyrian Empire, which ends up being pretty, whatever, not good. So, a couple points here. Signs are intended to point us to something. They're intended to show us a direction, to show us an answer for what we're supposed to do. Signs are also intended to reorient our lives. Signs are given to us to get us back on track. Like when, you know, whether you use, I don't know if you use, you know, whatever map app or whatever. One of, one of the reasons we use map apps is because they give us, they, they reorient our lives. They orient it. They tell us where we're at and they help show us where we're going. And biblical signs also do that. They're pointing to something. And often the biblical sign in itself is an evidence of that something they're pointing to. They give us an image and a picture of what what they're pointing to. So when you go through, like if you go through John's Gospel, John's Gospel, the Gospel of John is divided up into seven or maybe eight. Um, Signs. They're all signs. The first sign Jesus gives is turning the water into wine. It says this was the first sign that Jesus did, and his disciples, what? 
believed in him. And what that showed was a bunch of things. It was a sign, but it also was not a picture. It was a sign picture. It was a sign of what God's kingdom was going to be like. It was a sign that God's kingdom was going to be a kingdom of celebration. It was a sign that it was going to be a kingdom of abundance and of joy. And it was done at a wedding. It's, it's a sign of things to come of the great wedding feast of the Lamb at the end of history. There's all kinds of images that that sign gives us. So the sign isn't just telling us one thing. It's demonstrating to us what it's pointing to. And God gives them to us to help us reorient our lives, to get our lives directed. For me, God used those signs in my life to reorient my life back on the path, not that we were way off the path, but on the path that God had for us to go to seminary, to go to college, to, to, to come out here to Wycliffe. We, Teresa and I were all ready to go to work in the garbage city in Mexico and do mission work because neither of us wanted to be pastors. We just didn't. We saw pastors get beat up and chewed out and spit up. And you know, like one of my Old Testament professors said, you know, modern-day pastors are modern-day prophets. They get sawn into, they get thrown in pits. It's not a glamorous job. But you don't get paid anything, so that makes a difference, you know. And so, again, we, we didn't make the mistake, but we, we wanted to know God's will. You know what? Even if you're kind of afraid to ask God what his will is, his will is always good for us. It is the best plan for our lives, even if it means sometimes going and carrying a cross. Teresa and I prayed. We had our church pray. Because we, unlike, you know, I've, over the years I've had people that say, you know, I think God's told me to go do this. And I'll be like, okay, cool. Has, have you had the, your community or your church pray for it? No, 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 I just know. And I'm like, that, my experience, that isn't how God works. God works through his body. We had the church start praying about that. And almost immediately, both of us kind of looked at each other like, we're supposed to be pastors. I mean, no, we, we didn't exchange any words, anything else. We just had the church. We told the church, please pray for us. We're graduating from seminary. We, ne- we need to know what we're supposed to do. Boom. Next thing we know, we're in Wycliffe, Ohio, and all you yahoos are out there. You're here with us. So. For 30, whatever, 30, lots of years. Uh, 36 years, I think. So, ask God. Ask God. Don't be afraid. Don't be like Ahaz. And then begin to learn to trust God. That He's going to do something. That He's he, God cares about you. That doesn't mean that all of His signs and everything will be easy. I mean, the prophets He told He told Isaiah. Isaiah volunteers excitedly. And when God goes, who, who will go for us? Who will speak at Isaiah? like, me, me, I want to go, I want to go. And God says, okay, nobody's going to listen to you. They're going to hate you. They're going to you know, isolate you and do whatever to you. Isaiah's like, hey, it sounds great. Let's go. Let's go do it. So let me just give you a couple of pointers on this. 
First of all, life can get us really disoriented, real disorienting. A lot of stuff in life gets really crazy, doesn't it? Our world is a crazy world. I mean, when I watch the news, when I see what's going on, and I see all the battles going on, and sometimes it feels a little bit like, you know, like what happened before World War II, some of that kind of stuff feels like it. The political thing is about, you know, we're coming into another political thing. Word for all of us, let's put Jesus first through this whole thing, okay? I mean, it's not that it's not important to vote, but we already have a king. We already have a Lord who supersedes whoever happens. We're called to honor and bless and pray for whoever's on that on that throne in Washington or whatever. But life can get disorienting. There's a lot, a lot of stuff that can just shake us up. And when when Ahaz heard this, it said that he. he he, he he shook like, and the people too. All the people were all freaked out because Ahaz is their leader. They see their leader freaking out. It's always not helpful. Like you know, like it's like it's like it's like you're on the you know if you're on the Titanic and, and the captain of the ship is is standing with the life jacket on, jumping in the lifeboat, and you're like you're about you're gonna ask him what's going on if everything's okay, and it's, you look at him and you're like, oh this can't be good, you know. Dude is bailing. So there were, there were several times in the Bible where people following Jesus had very disorienting things, like when Jesus fell asleep in the boat and they're going across the Lake of Galilee, boat's filling up with water, big storm comes, they're basically starting to sink, and they wake Jesus up. And they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? And he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still, he said. Then the wind died down. He said to his disciples, why, why are you so afraid? Don't you still have faith? And they were terrified and they said, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, to me, it's like, it's a, it would be, I'd be in the boat and I'd be, like, I'd be doing what they're doing. I'm like, because I've been on lakes when, when the waves come and they start coming over the boat and the boat starts sinking. You know? And, and, and it would just be weird to have somebody go, What are you so freaked out about? You know? Don't you think my father's got this? You think this is going to be like, like the, you know, the, the Gospel of Mark. This happens in chapter 4 in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark. So, so the Gospel of Mark starts, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. And Jesus and the disciples were caught in a big storm, and the boat sank. Amen. Really? A really short Gospel. No. Signs help give us a divine perspective on life. The Lord said, go out and you and your son sheared Jacob. It's interesting. You know, we can kind of blow by that. Go out with your son, shear Jacob. One of the things that people did in the Old Testament, and even in, the, I think a lot of us do in the New Testament too, is the naming of kids became very significant for who they were and what they were going to be. And I think that still happens today, whether or not we, we try to do that or not. And sheer Jashab meant a remnant will survive. And what, what God was doing was bringing, as, as, as Isaiah is going to try and comfort the king, 
God, God cares about this king. He's going to try to comfort the king. And he says, then bring, that, bring your son, Je- Shir Jasheb. Um, by the way, I don't know if I'm saying that right. And when people say, you know, that when they, like when I say, I don't know if I'm saying that right, nobody really knows what it sounded like unless they're like, whatever, 4,000 years old or something, you know, 2,000 years old. <laughs> we don't really know exactly what it sounded like. But the, the bottom line, the point being, is that, that his son was a sign to, to Ahaz. God will be faithful. God had made a promise to David that he would have a descendant on the throne through all eternity. And God is being faithful. In spite of the unfaithfulness of the kings, in spite of the unfaithfulness of Ahaz, in spite of all this thing, God is being faithful because God made a promise that there would be always a king on the throne. And he says to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart. And I think God would say that to some of you too. Be calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart because of these two smoldering wicks. And what he does is he gives him a, 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 he gives him a divine view of a human circumstance. What, what um, Ahaz was seeing, seeing were these two raging kings who were standing with spears and armies and they'd already done damage to him and they'd already been horrible. And he's, what, that's what he's seeing. That's what, that's what we see sometimes, don't we? We don't see God. We see the circumstance. We see the thing and it looks so big. You know, we lose our job and we're like, oh my gosh. And I, you know, I'm not at that place right now, but I, as much as I can get it, I get it. Or we, we get that diagnosis. It's like, okay, you, you might have this. I, I've had twice I've had the, the nurses call me up with a report on something. When I first found out I had celiac, it was before anybody knew what celiac was. And the doctor, for some reason, had, this was years ago, had the nurse call me up and leave me a message. And the message was, hey, Mr. Paulson, we got the results back on your biopsy. You have celiac disease. Thank you. Bye. And she hung up, and I'm like, what the heck? What's celiac disease? You know, and this is barely in the early days of, of being able to look something up on a computer. So I'm freaking out, man. Celiac disease suddenly became huge, and God became really small. Suddenly, these two big guys seem like just as massive threat. They seem like the issue. And God goes... Don't be afraid of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. And, and the, the, one of the best illustrations I could think of is, like, remember the bumble from, from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? You know? The, when when the, the bumble has the teeth, it's like, yeah, he's scary, and he can, like, bite you and stuff or whatever. But later on, when Cornelius, um, whatever his name is, when, when he goes down that big cliff with him, he defangs him. He's defanged. And he comes in, and, and everybody's terrified because the bumble comes into Santa's land and all that. And, and Cornelius goes, don't be afraid. He's debumblified or something. I don't know exactly what he said. That would be my take on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So anyway. Um, but, it, you know, he, we need to have God's perspective on things, don't we? 
We need to ask God and say, God, show me how I should look at this. I don't want to look at this the way I'm looking at it because it's freaking me out. It's too big. I need your perspective, God. And I'm preaching this to myself as much as to you. That thing that seems so overwhelming to you today, that thing that you feel like there's no way out, there's no way out of this thing, there's no way around this, God would say, Take a breath, take a chill pill, don't be afraid, I'm with you. And God's ultimate answer to Ahaz is a sign. And you know what the sign is that he gives to him? God's ultimate sign to Ahaz and to us is, ta-da, a baby. And, And Ahaz is probably going, what? I've got two armies about to attack me, another big army way up there, and your answer is a baby? The birth of a baby? What are we supposed to do? Like, you know, feed him a lot of food and squeeze him so the poop shoots on our enemies? I don't, I don't get this, God. I mean, I don't, I don't know what we're... What is this baby? Does he have superpowers? Can he... Does he have laser eyes? I, I don't get it. I, I don't see how this baby is going to help us, God. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And it, that sign had two fulfillments. It had a fulfillment in Isaiah's day. Either Isaiah or the king had a wife who had a child and, and the term that's used in the Hebrew here means young woman. doesn't necessarily mean virgin. It got changed to virgin um, when, they, when they began translating the Old Testament into um, Greek from Hebrew. But it also had a, something they used to call a census plenier. It had a deeper fulfillment than just that. It didn't just mean that. It was, it was the beginning of a sign that would have a deeper, deeper fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And what, what he was saying is, and to Ahaz and to us as he was saying the virgin will give a son and you will call him Emmanuel which means God with us Ahaz God is with you and if God is with you who can be against you I will not be afraid for your rod and your staff they, you, they comfort me and you follow me all the days of my life. And you know, it, talks, it says that a couple places in the Old Testament. Your, your, your mercy and goodness follow me all the days. And he's not saying they follow me like, oh yeah, you got stabbed, sorry. And I have mercy. And, you know. He's saying, I'm with you this whole time. I'm with you this whole time. I'm with you through those dark times. I'm with you through those, those horrible times. I'm with you. I'm with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't know where you're at today, but it's hard for me sometimes. It's been hard, you know, bad hip, you know, doing a head dive into the concrete floor, you know, just being messed up and having a a few years of just a lot of physical stuff going on, you know, not being able to do a lot of stuff. Some of you know I, I, some some of you know me before I, I became... Um, Super Dave Crash guy. Um, 
and and I and I physically love to be active and love to do things and do a lot of things and God pulled me out of a lot of that stuff. And you know, it can be kind of discouraging, it can be kind of disheartening. But the one thing I, I do realize in the midst of all that and in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of the depression and everything else, that God is still with me. And God's sign to us is still a baby. When God tells the shepherds, they're the shepherds are out and you know watching over the sheep. By the way, it's kind of funny that when God comes with a sign, it's not like you know star-spangled banner and lightning, flashing thunder. God comes with this little sign, and He tells these shepherds, "Here's here's a sign for you, shepherds, because they see these angels. The angels are singing." And they, 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 an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So they were kind of like, wow, this is amazing. And then he goes, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And here's the message, here's the pointer to that good news. Today in the, son of, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and his name is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign. You'll find this little baby lying in, a, in an animal feed trough. Why? Because that's how God comes to us. He comes to us humbly. He comes to us simply. He comes to us with, not in ways we don't always expect sometimes super gently and quietly. And he comes to us in the person of Jesus. And there was another, and I'll end with this, there was another person that this happened with, and his name, her name was Mary, and her husband-to-be was Joseph. And Mary becomes pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's ready to abandon her. He says, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people for their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give a son, birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. When Joseph awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary home to be his wife, didn't consummate his marriage until they gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I love what Elizabeth Ochtemeyer says. I'll just end with this. She's a cool theologian lady. In time of war and fear, God gave his Old Testament people a simple sign to assure them that their God was with them, even though the northern coalition seemed invincible. In another time of international turmoil, internal danger, God gave his New Testament people a grand sign to assure them that God was with them, even though Rome seemed almighty. That sign still stands for us today. In a time of war and fear, when leaders are jockeying for power 
and the enemies are at the gates. We don't know who to trust. Elizabeth Ochtemeyer said it well. The people of faith know that the earth's petty powers will never have the last word. After all, Jesus Christ was born when Caesar Augustus ruled. And the whole world was terrified of Caesar Augustus. And guess what? Jesus was born when Caesar Augustus ruled. And Caesar is now dead, but Jesus Christ lives. Little baby. That's who we, that's who we serve. We serve a humble God who comes in humble ways. We serve a God who is with you every moment of every day. We don't need to be afraid to ask God which direction to go. If we're a fixer, we need to ask God to fix us of our fixing. We need to ask God to help us to trust Him. That He truly does know best. We need to trust Him that He has, no matter what His call is on our life, whether it's going on to a mission field and, and, and being a martyr for, for the, the Lord Jesus, or whether it's just being faithful throughout our whole life like Joseph. Not much is said about Joseph other than he was a carpenter. But Joseph did some, something amazing. He lived a really simple life, and you know what he did? First of all, he was merciful to Mary before he found out that the baby she had really was from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he was engaged to her. He could have, in those days, he could have had her stoned. But even then, before he knew all that, he didn't. He wanted to do it quietly so it didn't, didn't hurt her. He was a kind person. Where do you think Jesus got his kindness from? I think he got it from Joseph and from Mary. He was a step stepfather. We learn a lot from our stepfathers and our stepmothers. But he also, in a very real sense, saved Christmas. He was used by God to save Jesus. Because if he hadn't done that, Mary would have been on her own. She would have been cast out as a, as a somebody a prostitute or somebody who got married outside of, or got pregnant outside of marriage. She might have been stoned. Who knows what would have happened? But Joseph said, "I'm willing, Mary, to take on your shame, because now I know it's not just your shame; it's God's shame. I'm willing to take on God's shame for the sake of the world, and I will go with you. Where you go, I will go." Where you live, I will live. Your God will be my God. So, Father, (laughs) amazing grace, how great the sound that saved a wretch like me. Emmanuel, God with us. God who has good for us. Who works with us stubborn people who try and fix things ourselves, try and make everything right. We try and manipulate and control we try, and I pray that you'd break that off people right now. Break that off, that desire to just try and make everything work out. God, may we let you make everything work out. 
When we make everything work out, it all falls down. May we trust the small things that you're doing, and even the small acts that you call us to, like Joseph, to just go and be a good husband and a good father to Jesus. Stepfather. May we do that, Lord, and may you set free some people today. There's some people today who who just came in here going, God, I don't know where to go. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm just going to do it myself because I don't think you know. I don't think you care about me, God. God wants to give you a chance today to say, what do you want? What do you need to have me show you to help you trust me? Maybe some of you don't know Jesus. What do you need to ask God for to help you believe? May all this come to pass, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask some of our small group leaders to come up and help pray. If you're here today and you've been kind of going through what I've been talking about, come up and get some prayer. Peace.